The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 173. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position looks wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing The Remembrance of the Daleks, a seventh Doctor story. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. So this is, a, as I said, a seventh Doctor story. It aired in October of 19... 19- 88. <laughs> Those numbers are a little Actually, small on the this screen. This isn't just a seventh Doctor story. This is the first serial of the 20th anniversary year. So this really is their 25th anniversary serial. That's that's right. That's right. why there's it, so many callbacks to earlier things that kind of get snuck in throughout. That's true. And now I'll rely on you to point them out to me as we get to them. Yeah. Yep. Also, as a uh, as a as the twenty fifth anniversary special, it is way better than both the tenth anniversary and the twentieth anniversary stories. The tenth anniversary oh, yeah. story was uh, the three doctors, and it was okay, yeah. but it was not great. And then the twentieth anniversary was the five doctors, which was lame. And by comparison, this one works much better as a story. It's faster paced and it's more entertaining. This is one I I enjoyed as a kid. I remember watching it when it first came out in the United States about a year after. We were kind of a year behind. And I've always enjoyed it as a a story. It's always been one of my favorites. I really like this. This was a good, this is a good story. It's my first time seeing it. And yeah, I really enjoyed this one. This was really well done. Uh, It's interesting that. The doctor has the seventh doctor has started a bit of a shift. I notice uh, he's becoming less madcap and a little more yep sinister and calculating. Yeah, yeah. And we'll I'm sure we'll get into that as we go. A um, couple things to, to to mention is that um, there this is the last appearance of the Daleks and uh, Davros. Spoilers uh, until mm-hmm. the revival in 2005. So this is the last time we'll see them in the in the classic Who, and let's see. Th- this was the first time. We, well, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. I don't want to uh, spoil uh, what we're going to talk about in a bit. So, uh, but we'll, as we go, it starts with uh, a view from space, and we hear quotes uh, or, or recordings, Radio recordings of yeah. yeah of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and other voices as we're looking at Earth from space, and then a spaceship approaching earth so uh voices from the early 60s uh, interesting they, that two of the most prominent are americans well is- they asked the queen they asked buckingham palace if they could use a clip of the queen and they they were not amused <laughs> <laughs> we are not amused 
Because I, I think one of them was, was Khrushchev. I think you heard him speaking as well. Because oh, it was yes. Russian. So it Was that him saying, we will bury you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, one other thing that came up, actually, by the way, before we started, is uh, that there are clues dropped in here um, that, that to, to watch out for about the Doctor's secret past on Gallifrey related to the Omega, and yep. of Omega, mm-hmm. uh, related to the the so-called Cartmel Master Plan and the end of the most recent episode season yeah, of it was it was Doctor. interesting to watch this after the whole issue with the timeless child and the the uh, mm-hmm. the, the final episode of the or the final couple episodes of the previous yeah. season. It, yeah. it seems that this doctor had more memories of his past than other doctors have had. Yeah, yeah. So we yeah that's very interesting. Well, so it all starts where you know after we see the view from space, it starts. Uh, in Shoreditch, in uh, the UK, in London, um, Coal Hill School, where it all began. Yep. Um, yep. The that's the school where Ian was headmaster. Yeah, right? Ian, was he headmaster he, or teacher? Well, no, no. their teacher. He, Ian and Barbara were both teachers. Ian taught science. Barbara taught history. Okay. Well, and that's also was... where later Clara yeah. will will teach as well. Right. And where Peter Capaldi will become the caretaker. Oh, that's that reference. Okay, yes, because at one point, someone the, the headmaster thinks that the doctor has come to apply for the job as caretaker. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's one. Okay. Um, of course, that, that's you know, new who going back to po- uh, later who. Of course, a new right. who under Capaldi's time, the headmaster of Coal Hill School is Ian Chesterton. Yes. That's why I was thinking. Which it. was okay. still a missed opportunity to have him come on. <laughs> yes. He's still alive. He was in the yeah. the adventure of space and time, and he still That's does right. big Finnish audios. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and shockingly, for 1963, when this story is set, as we see the children filing into school, one of the boys is wearing dungarees. It's like, what's with is? the blue jeans, dude? That's not school dress code <laughs> in 1963. <laughs> oh no, suit and tie. Yes. So uh, we have Ace and the Doctor. Ace is carrying a boombox, playing 80s rock uh, in, in an anachronistic 1963. This is 29 November 1963 is the date here, mm-hmm. which is after the Unearthly Child, right? When did, they they the, basically yes. established it as a month. It's a month after they left Earth. Oh. And I didn't see an on-screen date for this. Uh, I checked TARDIS Wiki, and they were putting it in September of 63, which doesn't make any sense, because Doctor Who originally appeared in November of 1963. They make it sound like it's been a month since then, so I would put this in yeah. December of 63, even though it's really, really green for December. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I'm looking at the TARDIS Wiki at- and and maybe someone's changed it since because it says uh, November. Yeah, uh, my assumption but, a month after is that scene where they're at the graveyard with the the blind vicar, and he says the grave's been ready for a month. And Doctor said I had uh, to leave suddenly. So the idea, okay. the idea is kind of implying that when he left Earth in you know way back in 1963, it was about a month before this episode, give or take. Okay. Yeah. So. They're 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 walking over toward Coal Hill School. There's a van, a black blacked out van. That's not suspicious. With some giant aerial on type. Uh, Ace guesses that it's a TV detector van, which is a uniquely right. British thing. British uh, thing. It, Jimmy, uh, do you, you know what a TV detector yeah. van is? So in in Britain, you have to have a license in order to receive television signals because it's it's like a government you know run thing. 
And so the BBC claims to have the uh, – they don't own them themselves, but to, like, work with contractors, I gather, who will ha- – who have vans that can drive around and detect the number of televisions in the houses along the street. And if they detect a television receiving whatever – and it doesn't have a license, they'll like knock on your door and I guess demand you pay the license fee so people aren't pirating television. However, there is a dispute apparently about whether these vans actually do what they claim or are they just driving around for show to intimidate people into paying the license fee. I'm not sure how you detect something that's receiving a signal, not transmitting. Well, when, when, it, when it, they still had everything was over the air. An antenna would have, you know, sympathetic transmission where it would vibrate uh-huh. and it would transmit just a small signal. I mean, that, okay. that's it, your your own your radios today do the same thing, um, oh. and so that's what they're supposedly they're picking up off of. Now, how you do that with, of course, with cable, it's not an issue because you assume the license fee is part of your cable bill. Yeah. Uh, same with satellite. So I don't know. Maybe there's still an issue today with the over the air digital signals. I don't know. Yeah. And in a crowded neighborhood, you know, who knows? Anyway, that's a... And with all the other electronics that people surround themselves with now. (laughs) Exactly. So there's a schoolgirl standing in the the doorway, the gateway into the school grounds, who seems very interested in the Doctor and Ace. Uh, uh, Creepy creepy school children is a a, uh, staple of Doctor Who, (laughs) classic and new. Uh, So uh, the doctor wants to investigate this van, but Ace is hungry, so he sends her off to go to a nearby shop to get some food, and the doctor gives her some money, uh, a a bag full of money to to pay, Uh, and she has to end up paying with, she gets kind of confused by the coins, because it's all pre-decimal coins, shillings and pence and stuff that it's... Brinton went over to the decimal system in the late 70s. Right, and so this was still. She grew up after that point, where it, it's yeah. like ours. You got pennies and pounds, you know, instead of pennies and dollars, like we have here in the states. Then it was, you know, pennies, shillings, and pounds. And shillings were like so many. Were twelve 16 pennies, to, pennies the to the pence, and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> something like that. And there's even a that's even a callback to an unearthly child, the very first episode, because there's one of the anachronisms that Susan has at a, at a certain point is, oh, you haven't gone over to decimalization yet. Oh, right. interesting, interesting. Uh, so that meanwhile, the doctor uh, jumps into the van, <laughs> you know, because and meets Professor Rachel Jones, uh, who's also talking to a group captain. So there's some sort of military connection over the radio, and the doctor mumbles some mumbo jumbo, some uh, some techno babble about mag- a magnetic fluctuation that she's detecting, um, and uh, she he kind of. Um, in his usual blustery way, kind of blusters his way into her confidence into, you know, uh, I'm an expert and you should trust me sort of thing, which is a lot of fun that the doctor always doing. Yep. Meanwhile, the young man that Ace is talking to in the shop turns out to be a sergeant, a military sergeant in civilian gear, uh, who is the woman's aide. And they're, they're called to the, to this scrapyard at Totters Lane, 76 Totters Lane, which is where it all began. I am Foreman's Junkyard. Totters Lane. And the, right. I love that scene. That's the scene I always loved where, you know, he's, he's talking to the doctors, talking to a group captain and he goes, well, how do you know, you know, talking about what's there? You know, he goes, I've been here before. He just kind of <laughs> smiles. Yeah, yes. He's familiar with the place. Yes. He lived there in the junkyard. <laughs> and the group captain is maybe familiar if you're a fan of Upstairs Downstairs, because he's played by Simon, whatever his name is, who was 
the elder son in the family, James Bellamy. And mm. here he's playing a character, Group Captain Gilmore, but he played a similar role in uh, Upstairs, Downstairs for part of it because they had World War I during that series. Mm. And so he was also a military officer there. And I just couldn't help thinking of James Bellamy uh, <laughs> <laughs> watching him in this role, although it's about 50 well, years later. Yeah. Well, I love I love the doctor where he first sees him. Listen here, Brigadier. Group captain. Group captain. Yeah. <laughs> like, not quite Brigadier and, yet. <laughs> and and this group is very unit-like, yes. Yes. It's I sort mean, of pre-unit, but yeah. Professor Jones is even their chief scientific advisor, so she's like a proto-doctor human. Yep. Right, right. Yeah, it's you feel you get the sense that yeah, after this incident is this the unit probably grows out of this group of military or something in that in that sense. Um, but in any case, at the at Totter's Lane, his soldier has been killed by an energy weapon. Uh, the the doctor um, shows his usual disdain for military thinking, and there's uh, they've cornered whoever shot the soldier in the back of the you know in the shed. And by the way, the uh, the way he's been killed was by his internal organs have been rearranged. Mm. So is, sounds unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, the Dalek ends up killing another soldier, and so they it's a Dalek in there. No surprises. It's called Remembrance of the Daleks. Well, and, and, and the and the doctor doctor makes it clear too, he knows exactly what it is as soon as it's shot, because you know, they 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 was they launched missile in there or something Rifle like that. Nothing can, nothing can survive, you know, the little green blob and bonded polycarbite armor. Right. Yeah. Also, when the Dalek shoots the new person in front of them, we get the very first appearance of the CGI skeleton effect, where oh. when, it, when, when a Dalek shoots you, you can see your skeleton for a second. Yeah, that used to be just the, the reverse image. Right. It's so yeah. interesting that uh, this is the last time we see the Daleks, the f first time we see it. So that is something they decided to carry forward into 2005's. Mm -hmm. uh, Doctor Who, interesting. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think even before this, had they ever shown through the eye stock? So I think this might be yes. the first time they also showed the eye stock view. I, I think, well, I believe we've seen through the eye stock before. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, so the, sure. the Doctor manages to use the, the Nitro 9 to blast the Dalek that, uh, that Ace claimed that she didn't have on her. <laughs> right. I love the dialogue because um, early on she, he asks, are, you're not carrying any Nitro 9, are you? And she says, no. Kind of uncertainly, and, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and 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 then here he says, "Ace, give me some of that nitro nine you're not carrying," and he uses it. <laughs> and there's some great dialogue here. He at one yep. when the doctor wants to leave the junkyard, uh, he he turns to Ace and says, "Can you drive?" And Ace says, "Why?" And he says, "Good, I thought so. Get in there." <laughs> and they hop in a car and drive off. And then the doctor is complaining about the way she's driving, and and he, and Ace says, "If you don't like it, you drive." And at that moment, we get an exterior shot where they pass under a bridge. And as they come out the other side of the bridge, they've switched places. And now the doctor is yeah. driving. So, you know, <laughs> nice right. visual. I, I, love, I love that scene because there was a little glitch, um, at least the VCR copy that I had of this, this one. You know, when I watched it online, it was dark until you see them come out and it, they jump. On the VCR one, you could see them sitting there and then they would jump as they came out of the bridge. Oh, funny! But it was they, just—it was just light enough on probably on the original broadcast as well, and they've just darkened it for the uh, streaming version. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did enjoy that little 
how did he do that? Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor explains to Ace the origin of the Daleks, says they conquered the Earth in the 22nd century, by the way. So that's not what mm-hmm. they're there for now. Right. Yep. Okay. That's coming up in our discussion, but yep. And uh, that what they're really after is the hand of Omega, or Omega, oh as we Americans would say. With who, we've, uh-huh. who we've seen in the Three Doctors special, the 10th anniversary special. Yep. Oh, okay, okay. That's, that's interesting. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, so that's good. Yeah, I don't know. think we've talked about that one yet, but uh, yep. he was he was like the, the stellar uh, architect for Gallifrey. Yes. He's the one who created the uh, Eye of Harmony that they use as their power source. Right, right. Uh, and that it becomes a key element in the plot of this episode. Yep. So the the doctor is uh, back at Coal Hill School. They they meet the I mentioned they meet the headmaster who at first uh, refuses them entrance and then uh, he first he thinks that he's there to apply for the job as caretaker. Then they said no no I just want to look around and he says no 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 you can't do that. And then so he gets a weird sound. <laughs> he looks off into the distance for a second and then changes his mind. So obviously his his calm dot activates. <laughs> yes. Now, then we have uh, some civilian named Ratcliffe who shows up at uh, the uh, foreman scrapyard. Uh, he and his men take control of the uh, broken Dalek from the military uh, and have killed the soldiers guarding it. They've taken it away, uh, which is you know, so dun dun dun. Well, first, uh, first he's introduced by the sergeant to the group captain at mm-hmm. the, the army headquarters. Right. And I'm sorry, what, you missed that. There's, I've got men that can help, and then that's yes. what that's where they do that. Yes. Yeah, so we we know humans are in collusion with the Daleks because we've seen the school principal or headmaster. Yep. He's under Dalek control. We've also seen Sergeant Mike at at or Sergeant Mike Smith is in league with this group that will come to be called the Association that has killed mm-hmm. other military men and taken the broken Dalek. And what as as far as we know at this point, it's just one group of humans helping the Daleks. But as it as will be revealed, it's really two groups of humans helping yep. different groups of Daleks that are having a civil war with each other. Right, right. Very interesting, by the way. It's a. It, yep. it, I, I like that they've made this a much more complex story. It's not just simply Daleks versus the Doctor. Yes, exactly. having having a Dalek civil war makes it much more interesting. Also, just another thing I wanted to note that I liked. So Dr. Rachel Jones obviously is a woman, and there's another woman who is kind of an assistant to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how, even though this is the 60s, they've included women, and they haven't made a big deal out of it. We don't have any speeches yeah. about, oh, you're a woman, that's right. It's like, no, they're just part <laughs> of the team, and that's great. Yeah. Right. And then the only, only thing we see is, you know, they they were both forced into service and they kind of mock the group captain once in a while. <laughs> yeah. They that. really I they like that. really do. He when he gives them orders, they will make it clear that hey, we're civilians like a by fake, the way they behave. Big salute or snap to <laughs> attention or the mock salutes, yes, yes. Yavol. Uh, <laughs> so the the doctor also reveals around this point that the Daleks are following him because the last time he was on Earth at this time period he left something behind the hand of Omega. Uh, so, now, he, uh, he mentions that in a very interesting place. It was the science uh, classroom in Coal Hill School. In other right. words, Ian Chesterton's classroom. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Were I they... have to say, when, when they did this, when they did Coal Hill School in, with Clara, it, I think it was the same building, in fact, that they must have used. The same. I don't know. The same, it hmm. looked very similar, at least. 
uh, probably updated in you know 20 mm-hmm. years or, or 30 years since this episode or 25 years since this episode aired but yeah yeah but the building itself looks so similar. let's talk continuity for a second because when we first meet the uh-huh. doctor in an in an unearthly child we're led to understand by this episode that he had brought the hand of omega here to bury it and mm-hmm. so that's why he had a grave dug for it. That's why he got a blind vicar so the vicar couldn't see what they were burying. The vicar assumes it's a normal casket and it's not floating on its own accord um, <laughs> into the grave. So apparently the first doctor had this plan to bury the hand of Omega, but it wasn't with reference to the Daleks because the doctor didn't know about the Daleks yet. They didn't go to Scaro mm-hmm. until the second story. And so apparently the Daleks have learned subsequently about the hand and are and have hatched this plan to go back and get it from 1963. Right. Also, uh, the doctor, you could say, well, why hasn't the doctor come back to bury it before now? And the answer, presumably, I mean, one, you could just say, well, time machine, he can do it anytime he wants, except for the fact that for the early incarnations, he didn't have control of the TARDIS. No. And so he wouldn't, yeah. when, he had to, when he ended up fleeing with Ian and Barbara on board, when he kidnapped them impulsively, he could not get back to 1963 to finish the burial, and I guess was just right. hoping that someday he'd manage to get back there and complete his project of burying it. But now that the Daleks have learned about it and are going back to get it, he now has control of the TARDIS, so he goes back and has changed his plan. He is going to bury it. But that's not the end of his plan for it. Hmm. It's a very uh, complex plan that he's got going here. Very interesting. So the the Doctor and Ace uh, end up searching the basement of the school, and they find a transmat platform, which which activates and start to starts to beam in a Dalek insides first, which is, I think, a very interesting uh, effect. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of hope it doesn't do that with people. Ugh. But uh, but the uh, the Doctor defazes it. He says and ends up. Basically killing the Dalek right off the bat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just boom. Yeah. He's totally ruthless in this. You can't have two objects of matter on the same point in space at the same time. Right. If you try right. to do that with the car, you get an accident. If you try to do that with the transmat, you end up like putting one half on top of the other and it just all goes poof. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, Jimmy, you were saying he's, he's pretty ruthless in this episode. He's very ruthless. He is totally unconcerned about killing Daleks. And as we'll see, his plan is genocide. Right. Yep. Uh, well, of course, the doctor does make a mistake here. He doesn't realize that there has to be a Dalek operator on this side of the transmat. Uh, and so when they find out, they try to run from it. Uh, Ace gets through the cellar door, uh, but the headmaster knocks her out and locks the doctor in. End of the first part of the episode. What will happen to the doctor? Oh, and not just not just the going up the steps. This is the first time on screen we've seen Daleks levitating. Oh. Well, we've seen them levitate before, but this is the first time we see them levitate up steps, which was the classic joke about Daleks yep. that you could just get away from them by running up a staircase. And here we <laughs> see for reals, no, that doesn't work. They will just levitate up the steps. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now, it, it so, had been uh, the the ability to levitate and go up steps, stuff like that had been in like in comics and and books and stuff like that, but never, yeah. never, now yeah, never seeing it on screen going up the now steps Now they have like the that. technology. <laughs> Uh, that was uh, in the um, the uh, the one where they were in the lighthouse. The the there was the creature that went up the steps. Remember mm-hmm. that one? Uh, uh, brain not working. Or... Yeah, it was the uh, the, the horror of Fang Rock. The 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 fourth Doctor. Horror yeah. of Fang Rock. Yeah. Fang Rock. Yeah, yeah. Going up the steps. Uh, all right. So 
uh, we're at part two, which starts with Ace waking up from being knocked, uh, knocked out, and she tackles the headmaster, <laughs> which is a nice bit of uh, action there on Ace's part. Let's the doctor out. Uh, they discover that the headmaster has a device behind his ear that's been controlling him. They don't take it off him, though, right? Nope. No. No. He they, just they looks at it and walks away. Poor guy. Uh, so the the do- I, I like this bit. The doctor and Ace go outside and meet a soldier who's been sent there with some anti tank rockets. Uh, and he just makes them sign for them. Uh, we're here for the yeah. Who wants the <laughs> yeah yeah just sign here. <laughs> As you do, I guess. You want a receipt for those tank rockets you're handing over to the civilian. Well, as long as he's got his signature, I mean, that, that's all that matters, right? Right, right. It's, which says the doctor, apparently. Oh, but, but this, officer, this, this soldier wants to make sure he gets his pen back. Yes. Yeah. The doctor tries to pocket the pen. There, so, and this brings up something that there is just an and they eventually talk about it, but there is an amazing amount of deference being shown to the doctor by the military in this. Because they've yeah. just met him, but Professor Jones takes a shine to him as an expert and realizes we need to trust yeah. this guy, and she, by force of personality, is able to get the rest of the military to go along. Right. And she figures out pretty early that he's a, an alien, that he's not yeah. Well, not it, human. It's, it's funny, though, because when I, when I was watching this, I was going, why, is it, are, why aren't they mentioning unit? Why aren't they mentioning unit? Oh, unit hasn't been established yet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So- uh, they're going to use. They, they want to use the rocket to destroy the transmat, but they get confronted by the the this white Dalek. Uh, the, the the Daleks are either white on one faction, the Imperial Daleks, or gray or black on the the mm-hmm. Resistance Daleks. And uh, so the white Dalek attacks them, and Ace ends up having to shoot the anti tank rocket at the Dalek about ten feet away. Which bad idea! <laughs> Don't shoot yeah. anti tank rockets at targets ten feet away. But, but she, you know, she thought it was pretty out. fun. <laughs> yes. Um, military shows up just a little too late, uh, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. the doctor demands they evacuate the area because an invasion may be imminent. And the group captain says a decision will have to be made by the morning. Maybe yeah. too late by then, but okay. Um, and the doctor leaves without Ace. He tells her, "I have to, I have to go bury the past." That's I, that I love. His I love the line when uh, Ace shoots the the Dalek and blows it up. The doctor's just made you you killed it. You blew him up. He goes, I aim for the eyepiece. <laughs> just like yes, yeah okay <laughs> just go for the eyepiece you can blow it up <laughs> and so uh, he, he sends ace to st- spend the night at the boarding house that is run by sergeant mike's mother and yes. so he she's taken care of for the evening and then he on his way that night stops at like a, a, a restaurant or something a, a lunch counter a coffee shop yeah a coffee yeah. shop and has a conversation with a tea man about mm-hmm. It's a very interesting conversation. It's very philosophical. It's about the effects that will ripple when you make a decision and how you can't always foresee what those ripples are going to be. And the T-man counsels him that he says, you know, life is like that. And the best thing is to just get on with it. And what this is all signifying is the doctor is mulling over this huge decision he's got to make of, is he really going to go through with his plan? Which, as we will see, is to destroy Scaro and and commit genocide, and he ends up, and so that's a lot of the uncertainty we see through these early episodes mm-hmm. of the Doctor being uncertain. It's because he's not sure if he wants to go through with this plan. And in hindsight, there are big ripples from this. This, together with the events of Genesis of the Daleks, Russell T Davies indicated are like the two big things that started the Great Time War. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it is interesting, by the way, how different they handle this, the doctor's internal conflict than they would have in New Who. They would have been mm-hmm. a lot more externalizing, a lot more angst, a lot more, oh, the doctor was strutting about the stage. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a lot more quieter, a lot more, uh, yeah, like restrained, as you said, but uh, very interesting. And, and, uh, and by the way, if, if the T-Man looks familiar because he was played by Joseph Marcel, who was the butler on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's right. (laughs) Those of us who grew up during the eighties. Yeah. That's where we're going to recognize him. He's in lots of things. I mean, you actually, you look at his IMDB thing and he's, he's a very, very prolific actor. I mean, he's all over the place, but everybody's like, Oh yeah. He was the butler in Fresh Prince. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) the the Jamaican accent threw me off. Cause in Fresh Prince, he has a, a a British accent, of course. Yep. So, um, at the school, uh, back at the school, another Dalek arrives by Transmat, so we have you know some, some foreboding, some foreshadowing there. The next morning, the doctor goes to a funeral parlor where he says he's there to collect a casket. Um, it, it opens at his command, uh, and... Um, White light and mist or something is inside of it, and yep. he yeah. talks to it, so it's got, a, it's got a voice interface, you know, like an Alexa. Mm-hmm. And he, he has Ace's baseball bat, which he took from her when he sent her to the boarding house. And he presents it to the open casket and says, let's see what you can make of this. And it receives the baseball bat and upgrades it, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's a big time upgrade. I love the, the, the caretaker is great because you know, after the doctor does this, he's, he's leaving. And you hear him on the phone. I thought you said the doctor was an old geezer with white hair. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. That's what he's expecting. And then he... Uh, he sees it float by uh, the the casket float by him and, and faints at the sight of it. I mean, if I saw a casket floating out, uh, I would uh, uh, be a little disturbed too. Um, the uh, the as you mentioned, Jimmy, the doctor goes to a cemetery with a blind vicar to bury the casket, uh, and uh, to, with a prepared spot. Uh, the vicar comments how quiet the pallbearers are. <laughs> yeah, and he also <laughs> notices the doctor's voice has changed, and the doctor says several times. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, so the uh, the headmaster is uh, meanwhile following the sergeant Mike at the cemetery and attacks him and demands to know, to know the location of the renegade renegade Dalek base. And this is where we're, we we've gotten our first confirmation that there are two factions, factions. of both humans and Daleks I- involved here. Uh, the sergeant says he works for Ratcliffe and the association, uh, and the the headmaster is killed here. So that. Uh, because he, he gets captured and he basically gets suicided. Yes. Um, then uh, I'm kind of curious. Why did the doctor need the vicar? Why didn't he just bury the casket? Um, like what, what was the, the point of the vicar? Maybe, I guess. maybe maybe he needed the vicar to sign off on the on a, uh, closure of the event so that the pallbearers would come in and uh, not the pallbearers, the gravediggers would come in and fill it in. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's right, possible right. too that this is a this is a cemetery that's owned by the particular church. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, it makes sense. This then. is you know, of course, here in the United States, we're almost used to just public cemeteries versus a parish cemetery. You don't see you, there's some of them still in the United States, but they're nowhere near as common as they are over in England. That's true. That's true. So uh, at the boarding house where Ace has been waiting for the doctor, along with Rachel and Allison, who are also both staying there, um, the the doctor gives Ace back her bat, which, like you said, has been upgraded. It now sparks when you whack it against things, including your palm. Uh, so yeah. he's got a nice upgrade. Uh, Mike c- 
comes in and claims that Ace is supposed to stay behind, that the Captain Gilmore has told her that she can't come, which is interesting. Uh, well, and of course, it's you can tell it's not the case because he's reading the note and he reads the note and he looks at Ace go and Ace isn't supposed to come with. And when she tries yeah. to look, he just wrinkles it up and puts it behind his back. So it was clear right. that he's not allowing her to go. And then uh, we have uh, Ratcliffe in his office and it, back, you know, the, the this figure Ratcliffe is working with the Renegades and this leader of the Renegade faction of some sort is a figure in a sort of Dalek chair with a helmet. Mm-hmm. Which I thought at first, and it's got a Daleky voice. I thought at first this was Davros, but it was. And that's nice what we're meant to think that Davros is yep. the leader of the rebel Daleks. Yes. Yep. Um, so uh, Radcliffe, meanwhile, uh, he admits that he he's a Nazi who was imprisoned during yep. the war for speaking out in favor of the the Nazis. Uh, so a very bad person. <laughs> we are yep, not exactly. going to feel bad when yep. Radcliffe meets a, a, a bad end. And since the association are basically neo-Nazis, they are natural allies of the Daleks, who are surrogate Nazis. Yes, space Nazis. Uh, Back at the (laughs) military headquarters, the doctor uh, tells them where to look in orbit for the Daleks' uh, ship and says they're to avoid engagement at all costs. You know, you you stand aside, let, they're going to, he basically wants them to, the Daleks to fight it out, we're going to find out. Meanwhile, Ace back at the boarding house is, you know, looking around. Mike's mom She's is in the bored. kitchen baking, and uh, she finds a a no colored sign in the window and is indignant about this, which she should be, mm-hmm. uh, rightfully, of but, course. But in, but instead of making a big speech about it like we'd get on Modern Who, she just tells the landlady, "I'm going out for a breath of fresh air." Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but there's she also because she's because she's bored. Yeah. She turns on the TV. And, and, is, uh, and, and is immediately uncertain why it doesn't instantly turn on, because back then <laughs> right. you had to wait yeah. for a TV to warm up, and so she doesn't Because they had around. vacuum tubes instead of modern transistors. Yeah. It took a long time. But when it does finally warm up, you hear the next show that's coming up on BBC One, Adventure in the New Science Fiction Series, Doc. <laughs> and cut. Yeah. Cut away. And that was it. <laughs> yes. This is BBC Television. The time is quarter past five, which is when Doctor Who yeah. aired. And Saturday viewing continues with an adventure in the new science fiction series, Da. Which, uh, thank you for, for not creating an anachronism. <laughs> sort of. A, a, a paradox. <laughs> so uh, the, the doctor advises the military stand aside and let the, the Dalek factions destroy themselves. He says, uh, frightening, isn't it, to find there are others better versed in death than human beings? So the, uh, the, uh, one of the doctor's uh, crit- uh Frequent criticisms of humans as being violent. Um, Ace, meanwhile, has gone back to the school because she'd left her boombox there, and she, she's going back mm-hmm. to get it. Um, and while more Daleks are beaming in on the transmat downstairs, uh, she turns on the radio and intercepts a Dalek transmission because I guess the Daleks Pear- transmit. Apparently, on- they broadcast over FM standard FM radio or, or AM at that point. Or AM, be, uh- yeah. <laughs> so uh, she, or maybe it is FM because that's what she had it set to. Anyway. She discovers them and, and runs. Uh, and the doctor, meanwhile, has made a new device that will confuse the Daleks and asks the uh, the group captain to load up a, a truck with plastic explosives so we can go. And they, they just as Ace is uh, being surrounded by the Daleks, and she's trying to fight back with a super bat. Um, Which is great. She does I mean, real she's damage. like beating up the Daleks with the improved baseball bat. <laughs> 
Yep. She, she, she holds her well, own for a little bit. Well, she destroys one, yeah. And that, yeah. That's, uh, she, that's what she's known for, is the, the companion who destroyed a Dalek with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, she, she up-armors herself and get, picks up a rifle grenade that had been dropped, but gets cornered by three of the Daleks and is about to be exterminated. Okay. Well, I was going to mention, in this period, there are several references uh, to previous Doctor Who things that uh, you said, mm-hmm. you know, to mention as we go along. Yes, uh, The please. device that the doctor builds, he says he built something similar on Spiridon, which is a third mm-hmm. planet he visited in a third doctor story called Planet of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. The doctor mm-hmm. also talks to Ace when she's wondering how could how could all this be hidden? The fact we had a Dalek invasion in 1963. And he says, do you remember the Loch Ness Monster or the Yeti in the subway? And <laughs> yeah. th- those were from the sec- the fourth doctor with the Loch Ness Monster and the second doctor with the Yeti in the subway. So we've had invasions before and they got covered up. Yeah, he says uh, humans are really good at self-deception or, you know, not seeing what's in front of them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that so this confrontation, the Daleks, uh, you know, cornering uh, Ace ends the second part. And the third part begins with the doctor saving the day with his gizmo uh, while the Daleks are all confused. I do not know what's going on. The uh, Sergeant Mike plants explosives on them and, and blasts them and into boom. gooey bits. Uh, and uh, while, while they're looking into one of the, the now destroyed Dalek casings, uh, the, a claw reaches out and grabs the doctor by the throat. And uh, as, Assistant Allison there has to save him. And uh, he notes that they've mutated the super again. bat again. <laughs> yes. Um, the the other the other destroyed Dalek, the white one, was underdeveloped with vestigial limbs and sensory organs, but the renegade Daleks have functional appendages and a mechanical prosthesis grafted on. So you know, so this is a, the essential difference between the two factions, uh, right? And, a, and and as Ace, the Doctor has Ace later explain, they have mutual xenophobia because you know they they're fanatical about racial purity, but they're you know these blobs. But uh, as Ace puts it, they're not pure in their blobbiness. They hate each other's chromosomes. So war to the death. Right. Right. Uh, The doctor also um, at this point explains to Ace the dangers of altering the timeline and says even the Daleks with all their power wouldn't dare do such a thing. She was was indignant that her boombox got blown up. And doctor said, could you imagine what that would do to the timeline? You know, the the microprocessor revolution or the transistor. Microchip revolution would come, you know, 20 years earlier. Right, right. But interesting that the Daleks, at this point, they, they at least, the Daleks would not mess with the timeline. Uh, not something that, that they would have any compunction about, say, uh, when Daleks take Manhattan. So interesting difference there. Well, that's um, post-Time War. And in the Time War, yes. there was lots of rewriting of history. That's yep. true, that's true. Uh, so they go back down to the transmat in the basement. The Doctor beats the transmat into bits. Uh, breaking the, the bat, bat in the process, yeah. I wonder if that no. was supposed to happen. I bet it yes. wasn't. I, I bet. Hmm? Mike, I, was gonna say, I, I, I almost Go wonder ahead. if it wasn't, but yeah. Um, however, the bat does come back. Uh, recently, uh, Sophie Aldred released a, a book at Childhood's End, which is her and the Thirteenth Doctor. Oh, okay. And the do- it, it says in there that the Doctor took the bat, later repaired it, and then gave it back to Ace the day she left. The doctor's, uh, oh, as a companion, yeah, Yeah. as a companion, and so the the bat shows up in this book that just came out recently, you know, a couple of months ago. 
Right. In cool. terms of the TV show, though, I think that it. I, my sense is that they broke it deliberately so Ace wouldn't have it every single episode in the yeah. future. Right. That's true. true. Yeah, that would be kind, a little kind of like, kind of like a certain device in, in modern <laughs> Who that the Doctor has in every episode and uses about five hundred times. Sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Um, yeah. The magical wand. <laughs> so uh, Rat- Ratcliffe shows up at the cemetery at the grave that the where the hand of Omega is buried. Uh, it's marked with a Omega tombstone, which mm-hmm. you know. The Everyone Greek symbol here. Omega. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. Well, and that's the yeah. point is he wants them to dig it up now. Right. Yep. It, although it seems a little suspicious that he would mark it so prominently. I'm yeah. surprised that they don't figure that out. But anyway, um, he uh, so Radcliffe, I like this part. Radcliffe sticks a metal pole into the dirt uh, where above the, the coffin. And then it starts where he gets zapped when he touches yep. the, the casket. And uh, it starts emitting energy. That the Daleks in orbit, the Imperial Daleks, detect. So, you know, mm-hmm. they know it's there too now. Um, the, and then the little schoolgirl shows up uh, watching Radcliffe and his men digging up the grave, digging up the uh, the yeah. casket that's been buried not, there. Not realizing yet, spoilers, she's his handler. Yes, She's that's the right. one in the chair. Um, on the uh, Dalek ship, the Emperor shows up, and I have to say, the Emperor Dalek, it's got this big egg-shaped dome. It reminds me a lot of uh, Mork and Mindy, the uh, the 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 uh, the giant head. I think they, they mm-hmm. called it. it has the, it's sort of comical, I have to say. It looked it was not it was not very at all threatening. It's very comical. Uh, it's a big egg-shaped dome on the on a pepper pot bottom, uh, basically. Yep. And uh, the doctor tells Ace that he intentionally let the Renegade Daleks get the hand of Omega so that the Imperial Daleks will focus on them. Not the humans. So uh, the the doctor trying to protect the humans there. Back at the school, the doctor then explains who Omega was. He was a Gallifreyan who was a stellar engineer, not just a really good one, but like an engineer of stars. <laughs> and it was Omega who created the supernova that was the initial power source for Gallifreyan time travel experiments. And he left behind him the basis on which Rassilon founded the Time Lord Society, and he left behind the hand of Omega. Uh, which is a remote stellar manipulator. And the doctor says, we had trouble with the prototype. And then he says, we had trouble with the prototype. And then it meant it to say, they had trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, sa- he says like, oh, what trouble we had with the prototype. And she says, and Ace says, we, and he just says, they. So right. yeah, this is another hint that he was there at the beginning. Okay. Now, now wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, Jimmy, wouldn't you agree that this is kind of where the Cartnell master plan is kind of starting to be hinted at very loudly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very deliberately. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and it, what, how we've talked about that at, at length in the, when we talked about the season 12. But uh, yeah, it's very interesting to see how they were going, to, that they were going to start revealing more about the Doctor here, and we just didn't get enough time with the Seven. And this, this is the point where it, it gets kind of interesting again, thinking of season twelve with the Timeless Child and all that plot line, um, where it's like, okay, maybe not even the Doctor realizes how much he has to do with this, mm. but it was clear that he was involved in these this work and knows that he was involved in this work, some yes. point in his past. Yeah. So the doc, the Daleks want the hand of Omega so they can have Time Lord style time travel, and the Doctor wants them to have it, but he didn't come uh, count on there being two factions. He says mm-hmm. so, uh, and he doesn't explain why he wants them to have it, but uh, he says he wants them to have it. 
And this is characteristic of the seventh doctor, the the master strategist, where he is the only and the control freak, where he is the only one who knows the big picture. He'll he mm-hmm. doles out little bits of information on a need to know basis to other people and the audience. But he he's the only one who really knows the full plan that he's working on. And uh, yes. Uh, and meanwhile, uh we go back to the Ratcliffe at his uh, construction yard, and uh, his men are killed by the black and gray Daleks of the Resistance. And when Ratcliffe protests to the helmeted figure, it turns and lifts the helmet, and it's not Davros, it's the little girl, yep. and who activates a time controller, uh, just as the Doctor and Ace show up there. Um, and the, the time controller is a plasma globe. Which is hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's, it's not even like a decorated plasma globe. It's just kind of a stock <laughs> off the yeah. shelf. <laughs> so plasma globes, or the principle for them, was invented actually by Nikola Tesla. Oh, there you go. And in the 1980s, they became a very popular novelty item where you'd have a glass sphere with this plasma and you would touch it and it would make what looked like little lightning bolts heading out to your hands. But they've just got like an off-the-shelf 1980s novelty toy. <laughs> to be their time controller. I wanted one of those so bad when I was that age. So the doctor says that the Hand of Omega is alive in, in a manner of speaking, which is interesting. Um, they find that the girl's Dalek chair that she was sitting in, um, and the doctor is very angry, he's very indignant about it. He says the Dalek's major drawback is their dependency on rationality and logic. The solution, Their solution is get a human, preferably young, imaginative, Plug the child into the system, and their ingenuity and creativity are slave to the battle computer. I mean, it's it sounds horrific, you know. It's a sort of a, yeah. a slavery of children. Uh, it also, is... frankly, sounds undalicky. I don't think they yeah. recognize their their limitation in this way, and wouldn't want a human to do their thinking for them. Yeah, the the Daleks are so xenophobic. It would it sounds uh, unusual yeah. uh, until the Daleks take Manhattan. I mean, that's sort of the premise of that whole. Uh, two-parter. Well, and I, um, I wonder if, you know, it's as simple as, you know, Daleks realize this is a, an advantage that they can use over the Imperials of you know, using the creativity of humans that they don't mm. have until they don't need her anymore and then she's gone because right. icky human. <laughs> right, right. So the Doctor leaves behind his calling card and the uh, Daleks chase him and Ace back to the Coal Hill School. Uh, Mike Meanwhile, Sergeant Mike lets slip that he knows more than he should and uh, makes Ace suspicious of him. Although he also arranges a date with her. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Before that, he arranges a date um, at, the, at the, the movies. The Daleks attack, uh, but return to base when the Imperial Dalek shuttle comes down and lands in the schoolyard, uh, it, where it had landed before. The Doctor had noticed the, yep. the uh, landing pattern, the burn the burn marks. marks. Just like yes. in the pilot, the Peter Capaldi episode, where we have scorch That's marks right. on a school playground or a school asphalt place. Yep. Yep. Uh, Mike now tries to apologize to Ace that he didn't know about the Daleks. Instead, he's just a dirty Nazi racist, but <laughs> so that doesn't yeah. impress Ace very much. Yeah. And incidentally, Ace calls him, uses a couple of pieces of British slang that may not be familiar to Americans in this. Earlier on, when he was being a little sexist towards her, she called him a toe rag, and she actually calls him that twice. Yep. Toe yep. rags are things that people would put between their toes when they like couldn't afford socks. 
or stockings. Mm. And ah. so they would, they, and they, needless to say, in the work conditions back then, they got really grimy. So you call someone a toe rag, <laughs> you're saying he's a really disgusting person. Also, she calls him once he's, once he's let it slip that he knows stuff he shouldn't know. And then he tries to say, oh, well, Ace told me. And she knows that's not true. She yells that he's a grass. And to American ears, if grass is slang for marijuana, but that's not what she means, uh, a, a grass in British slang at least can mean a criminal insider who informs on his associates, an informer or spy. Oh, okay. Some people might talk about like a snake in the grass type. Mm -hmm. He's an or a narc. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In, in, yeah. Um, interesting. So Mike gets arrested. By the group captain, uh, who doesn't do a very good job of arresting him. <laughs> well, he, he arrests him okay, but then he breaks out. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the Daleks factions have a fight, uh, you know, in the streets of London. And so the Imperials send in a really cool special heavy weapons Dalek. This thing is like, <laughs> Basically like a, a tank big Dalek. cannon on a Dalek base. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's nice no. to see variations in Daleks that are suited to specific tasks. Yes, yes. And this one, yeah, <laughs> this one shoots and blows up two uh, renegades in one shot. Uh, the doctor, meanwhile, boards the Dalek shuttle by uh, sliding down a rope onto its roof. And Action doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. He, of course, what does he use to slide down the rope? The umbrella. The, the umbrella. The question mark umbrella. Uh, he disables the Dalek controller on board so the others can get in there too. I, I like how the Daleks have a spare plunger stuck in the cabinet. Yes, yes, just for in all all uh, just in circumstances. Case. Just in yes, case. Yes, just in case. Uh, doesn't everyone? So the the uh, Sergeant Mike breaks out of confinement in the basement and goes back to Ratcliffe's warehouse, where he he tells the Daleks he has a message for Ratcliffe. And uh, as the Renegades are getting the time controller ready for whatever they're going to use it for, uh, they're attacked by the Imperials, and Ratcliffe takes the controller because he and Mike have determined that the the time controller is their bargaining chip. They realize we're, we're you know, as the uh, uh, Lando Calrissian learned on Bespin, uh, I have altered the deal. <laughs> you know, pray yeah. I don't alter it further. The Daleks have altered the deal, and so this is their bargaining chip against the, the renegade Daleks. So they take the controller and run. And they don't realize that the girl has lightning, has force lightning power. Uh, yeah, she ends up shooting the Ratcliffe and killing him, and Mike ends up running off with the time controller. Ace then explains that the uh, the Renegade and Imperials hate each other because they consider each other impure. The this racism analogy we talked about, and uh, they they've messed with the Dalek shuttle, and uh, they they leave it, and the Dalek shuttle then leaves with the Hand of Omega and the Imperial Dalek uh, patrol that had been sent out, and they go off and they follow Mike, who has the time controller. Meanwhile, the Doctor has rewired the transmat. With a TV and a camera of the time, 1963 TV camera. I like that he made yeah. Rachel and Allison help out by carrying this huge 1963 TV into the yeah. basement. <laughs> they thought, oh, hey, we could do like scientific stuff. No, you have to be labor. That's right. So the uh, the Imperials connect the, the, the Hand of Omega to their control circuit. They're, they're about to start using it. And the doctor uh, interrupts them with a transmission. He says, this is what the transmit modification is for. This is the doctor, president-elect of the High Council of Time Lords, keeper of the legacy of Rassilon, defender of the laws of time, protector of Gallifrey. Uh, I call upon you to surrender the hand of Omega and return to your customary time and place. That's a 
Very good. And he also mentioned earlier that they come from another planet in the distant future. So we have an indication of when the Daleks are from relative to Earth. Mm -hmm. So returning to their time and place. Also, the fact that he is so, you know, positive on Rassilon and is I'm mm -hmm. keeping his legacy and I'm defending Gallifrey. That suggests, although he does remember being the other at the time of Rassilon, he doesn't remember being the timeless child. Right. Right. So uh, as the doctor is uh, is is giving his ultimatum to the to the Daleks, the Emperor's dome slides up, and this is when we finally see that Davros is inside. Davros is the Dalek Emperor here, which is interesting, given that in New Who that the Davros is a becomes a prisoner of the Dalek Emperor, uh, which is a, a different circumstance there. So kind of interesting how things change for him. Uh, Davros starts monologuing. And the doctor of course, mocks the doctor him. monologues back. <laughs> well, this is where we get the rice pudding, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yes, that's the, the unlimited rice pudding you hear in our intro uh, to the, for our show. It comes right from this this moment. <laughs> I like yeah. the the mockery. So the uh, the Daleks' plan with the hand of Omega is to transform Scaro's son into an equivalent of the Eye of Harmony so that they'll mm -hmm. have similar power to the Time Lords, mm -hmm. and then they will destroy Gallifrey. So they're, like, yes. actively <laughs> plotting the Time War at this point. Right. Yeah, and they have time travel, the Doctor explains, but the time travel, that technology they have is, is like, really bad, dirty time travel. Crude and nasty is the way he puts it. Yeah. Yeah. But so, the um the the doctor in the rice pudding speech is like begging Davros not to use the hand when in fact that's exactly what he wants Davros to do. And Sylvester McCoy's performance is a little transparent there. It sounds to me when he's saying Davros, please don't use the hand. It's it sounds fake. You know, yeah, if yeah. Davros had oh, emotional intelligence, he would be able yeah. to perceive the deception. Yes, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know someone said, oh wait. Don't do it. Yeah, right. Uh, Willy Wonka, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Gene Wilder, kind of, you know, the way he does yeah. it. Oh, stop. Please you know, that, stop. That big, don't. Like, Please stop. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting. The doctor has no compunction. There's no apparent uh, moral compunction about the fact that he's trying to commit genocide. He's going to destroy mm -hmm. all the Daleks. Well, we've had that before. It was just really subtle, and it was stretched out over a number of different scenes across these episodes, like the scene with the T-Man, um, yes. where he was ruminating about it ahead of time. But now that he's committed, he's just doing it. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. Is, it is a contrast, though. You mentioned Genesis of the Daleks earlier, though, of the fourth Doctor, where he's got the ability to basically commit genocide on the Daleks, and he says, do I have the right? Do I have yeah. the right to kill all of them? You know, Apparently, he has contrast. changed his mind. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, I got a second chance at this. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> so, of course, Davros does use the hand of Omega, and Scaro ends up being vaporized. And Davros says, "You, you've tricked me." And the Doctor says, "No, Davros, you tricked yourself." And <laughs> Davros says, "Have pity on me." And the Doctor says, "I have pity for you." Yep. Yes. Uh, and uh, the mothership is about to be destroyed. But Davros um, runs, so he gets away. Yes, yes of yeah. course. Uh, so meanwhile, Ace is being held at gunpoint by Mike back at the boarding house. Uh, but the little girl shows up because he brought the time controller with him, and she ends up killing him. So Mike uh, suffers 
the just retribution for his sins. And uh, But when the mothership is destroyed, the little girl is released from the control of the Daleks. Uh, There's that, actually... No, when the final Dalek is destroyed, oh, right, she's yeah. released. The, so the doctor talks the final Dalek into despair, because now he's like, it's, you have no function, all the other Daleks are yep. gone, Scar's destroyed, and so the Dalek freaks out and and basically commits suicide, and as it does that, the little girl is freed. Yep. That's right, that's right, because she's controlled by the renegades, not by the Imperials. Um, and then the doctor, standing over the remains of the, 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 the renegade, the head of the renegade Daleks, basically says, ashes to ashes, dust to dust over the remains, which is yep. a, mm-hmm. a, uh, from the Christian funeral. And uh, the doctor and Ace, uh, speaking of funerals, they they are at Mike's funeral, which is interestingly yep. yeah. attended by the group captain and Rachel and Allison and everybody. So he's not mm-hmm. anathema, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, they don't go he, into the because he got force lightning by the little girl. Yes, yep. and and I had had in my notes uh, earlier on, Ace was interested in him, but then he betrayed her, so now he has to die. Yep. <laughs> right there, you go. Um, she says, uh, Doctor, we did good, didn't we? And he says, perhaps, time will tell. It always does. So it, it, it's a bit of a open-ended ending to this. A little, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how it all, whether what we did actually bears actual fruit. Yep. Now, of course, Scarrow isn't destroyed, right? Well, that, no, it uh, is. It is. They eventually put it back together, but it is destroyed. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I thought I had seen somewhere where uh, there was uh, maybe secondary media where they said something about, oh no, it was a it was a different s- star system that Scar- that uh, Davros tricked them, the Doctor or something like that. But uh, maybe not. Uh, but uh, it's also it's always you know it's, it's yeah. kind of like it's not Gallifrey in, in New Who. It's, it's it's destroyed. Oh wait, no, it isn't. It's just in time lock. Oh, it's back. <laughs> oh, it's destroyed. And that's where we hold yeah. now. Yeah. Yes, you just mm-hmm. you never know. It's like Schrodinger's planet. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, that's it for that episode. Uh, any final notes on this, Father Corey? A couple of things. Uh, in uh, Ian Chesterton's classroom, there, uh, Ace picks up a book, the French Re- on the French Revolution, and that's the book that Barbara gave to Susan. Oh, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that that that's in you know an unearthly child. You see that? Yep. Mm-hmm. When they show the inside of the transmat, I have always wondered what those circuit boards are because you know they have these you know just nondescript circuit boards with all kinds of <laughs> like memory chips and stuff on. I've always wondered what they are, if they're like an old computer that they ripped apart or if mm. there's uh, something else there. While, they're, while the uh, army and the, the Rachel and Allison are sitting in the, the coffee shop, they, they mention Bernard at the British Rocket Group. I was just going to say that, yeah. And it's <laughs> Bernard Quartermass, who was an earlier sci-fi figure as movies and TV show on BBC. And he comes up in New Who because Malcolm Taylor... In the uh, planet of the big red bus on the on the uh, on planet the, of the dead, the sand on the plains of sand, named yep. a unit of measurement Bernard after him. Oh. So he shows up in new. You know, so that's when they talked about how you had a Bernard was the output of this wormhole. Well, it's for yeah. this Bernard Quartermass. I, I love this reference here though more because it establishes that Bernard Quatermass and the British Rocket Group are in canon universe in Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's right. actively working at that moment at the British Rocket Group. And then finally, Rachel, her, uh, she was played by Pamela Salem. She was Miss Moneypenny in the Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. She oh. was in the Robots of Death as Toos, the I think the pilot, if I remember right. 
And so one of the voices of Zawanin in the face of evil, the first episode with Leela. These are all okay. both fourth, fourth doctor episodes. Pamela Salem. And oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, that's, that's, oh yeah, that's, that's right. I see a picture of her. Yeah. That's, she looks familiar now. Uh, Jimmy, anything uh, you have? Yeah. So, um, this episode does not depict seven at his most ruthless. But mm-hmm. close. Uh, he actually can be more ruthless than this. Yes. Uh, there's a line in there where if you're wondering about what happened to the hand, the doctor says it's returning to Gallifrey. So that doesn't explain mm. why he took right. it from Gallifrey, but it, it, we, we are given verbal closure on that. Specifically, the science lab they're in is a chemistry lab. And in yep. an unearthly child, Ian and Barbara went to discuss Susan in a chemistry lab. So it's presumably the same one. Dom, question for you. What do you think of Ace in this one? Uh, Ace was good. I mean, so this is the second Ace thing I've seen. We we saw the Dragonfire one, which this, was interesting. Of course, this is only her second serial. Yeah, so I I like Ace. I like her. I like her style. I like her 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 uh, her her wanting to blow things up. I think she's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> and I like that. Um, she's young. She's got some energy. She's not a stereotypical, fe- you know, uh, femme fatale or not femme fatale. Uh, uh, um, girl in distress like like perry was yep. <laughs> very often uh she's not screechy like mel kind of was it's, i kind of like her she's even protective of the doctor when they first go down into the mm-hmm. basement and they're having yeah. a kind of conversation about this is going to be dangerous she gets in front of him with the unupgraded baseball bat to protect him and goes down first that's yep. right that's right yeah i i like ace in this i think but, she's, but uh, she, she still has some vulnerability that she kind of hides behind the tough exterior yeah yeah um, yeah, I, I yeah, I think she's she's. She, I can see why people really like her, and why it is a shame that uh, we didn't get more Ace Doc, Seventh Doctor uh, before the cancellation. Yep. All right, so uh, I think that will do it for this episode. Before we uh, tie things up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons. Actually, we had a little bit of feedback on a recent episode. Someone pointed out that. We had said, and specifically that I had said a couple of times, that it looked like the Master and the Time Masters, or Cyber Lords, or whatever you want to call them, that they should be dead, but that I hoped they would bring them back. And actually, on Facebook, someone pointed out that when the they're about to use the death particle in the Timeless Children, the Master says, all of you through there now. Yep, and okay. I hadn't caught that because it. We don't see him say that. It's he says it off camera as right. the camera is showing us the button being pushed for the death particle. And I was yeah. so focused on the visual, I didn't notice the line. But we do have a line well, in I, there explaining how they survive. And I, I, th- I think we kind of briefly, briefly talked about it about how he might have had his TARDIS or a TARDIS sitting there, yeah. right next to him. You know, and Turns so you can out, imagine that yeah. at least. At a minimum, the master, if not some of the upgraded Cybermen Time Lords, were able to jump into there before all right. went boom. Yeah. So back. thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, that was an email from Tim Davies. So thank you, Tim. So uh, as I was going to say, uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who, including Joshua P., Ricard G., Jim K., Tristram C., and Nate and Jessica V., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits our show every week. 
And so that's it from us. What do you think of Remembrance of the Daleks, uh, the Seventh Doctor story? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, The Waters of Mars. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, you can always judge a man by the quality of his enemies. Right. This is going to be fun.